Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. I am excited to interview a fellow author today. He is the author of The Coaching Leader. Absolutely love that title. Uh, I'm with Clifford Morgan, and he, our guest today, he served with the Royal Australian Air Force for over 17 years and is now an endorsed organizational psychologist. He's passionate about helping leaders become luminaries, people of prominence, high performers within their organization, elevating others, navigating growth and developing pipelines for leaders within their companies. I'll stop there because there's so many good stuff within your bio. Um, Cliff, welcome to the show. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. It's a great to be on the podcast this morning. All right. Well, let's kick it off. I'm going to go, because you are Aussie with that that accent there for our listeners, uh, I'm not going to go the Vegemite question. I'm going to go anchovies on a pizza. What's your take? Yeah, 100%. I love, so pepperoni with anchovies and mushrooms. That That's my go-to. Absolutely love it. All right. Well, in that case, let's kick it off with a coaching moment that went well. And what was the lesson? Well, I think about the concept of best. And I think what was most valuable? Or what was most impactful? What When did I inspire the greatest amount of change? Because that's kind of what we're trying to do in coaching, right? And so often I feel like I don't know in the moment if I'm being impactful or not. When you think about it, we, we, we can't as coaches because coaching is just a conversation. And in order for that conversation to be impactful, the, the, the coachee needs to go away after that com- conversation to do the work, to execute the plan, to make the change and really go and achieve their goals. It's kind of three that really stand out to me. I recently got some feedback that one of the leaders on that program really kind of resonated with one of my messages and she took it, she applied it. Uh, and, and as a result, she lost 30 kilos in the space of seven months. And that totally transformed her world. She had more energy and more motivation in the workplace. She was happier and more satisfied in life. Uh, But she didn't stop there. She shared that with her team and a bunch of her team have lost weight and they've made positive life changes. And as a result, the the motivation morale of the team has has gone through the roof, but also their performance as well. Because I'm, I, I love this concept of exponential leadership or exponential influences where you equip people uh, to be great leaders who go and equip others to be great leaders who go and do the same, right? You know, uh, another one was uh, I recently coaching a, a tech executive and he had been working with him for a, a period of months and um, really it was around, you know, taking coaching skills and imp- implementing them in the workplace. He'd read the book and, and actually kind of loved that. He's like, hey, I, I want to get some coaching as to how I implement this. And we've been working with him and there have been some struggles uh, in the first couple of months for him to actually get track. But by the end of the program, he comes back and he says, well, I feel like I'm making a really big influence without having to do the work. Uh, and and I was like, yes, you know, that is, that's exactly what we're after. You know, I love that coaching work, that coaching quote around you really your your aim is to change everything by doing nothing. Um, and the other the other moment that stands out to me, um, Emma, I was heavily involved in standing up the Air Force Leadership Coaching Program uh, at Amberley. And uh, it was in one of the coaching skill training sessions that we had there. 
um, I was teaching coaching skills to leaders and I had one of the uh, senior military uh, members, uh, it was, it was a, a male, uh, took those, those skills and actually went home and spoke to, to his son. It's like, I just want to say thank you so much because I took what you said, I had this conversation um, and we'd had a really rocky relationship between father and son for a number of years and he was able to connect. Uh, it's, for me, the best coaching moments aren't necessarily in the session. It's when you find out afterwards the impact that you've had. So thank you for sharing those stories. I really resonated with this concept of our our role. Our primary role is to draw out that which lives within, and we never know when that's going to happen. We don't know. Yes. We can't force that. And someone said to me the other day, and I really love this, just that, uh, you know, it was around grief and going through change with in, in relationships and pretty heavy stuff. And you can't force a timeline on anybody. Those timelines happen when they're meant to happen. It's more, mm -hmm. I think, more about just trusting the coaching process and trusting the guiding of the the person who we believe in wholeheartedly that they can change if, in the desire if they want, obviously, yes. to, to get to where they want to go. So, so thank you for sharing that. What about on the flip side? Have you got an example of a coaching moment that didn't go well and what was the lesson? Uh, in my psychology training and part of all of that, I spent 12 months on the phones at Lifeline doing uh, telephone counselling. Uh, so it wasn't really coaching, but I, I was intentional about developing and honing my coaching skills in uh, that context. I often say that silence is, one of, is more effective than any question that you could ask uh, when it's used well. Because silence kind of gives people space to think and they will answer. And then because you don't jump in with the next question, it forces them to elaborate and think deeper about their previous answer. And so often that can provide some really valuable insights. And uh, I was on the phone uh, in, in Lifeline. So this person was, um, you know, in a level of crisis and had some really bad things going. She just needed to talk to someone. And uh, when you do silence over the phone, it's really tricky to get it right. And I learned the hard way. And I was being silent intentionally with the intent of giving her space to talk things out and actually work work things through. But she just got to this point where she was like, you don't care, um, you know, and, and so I just went off a rocker because I wasn't actually talking enough. Uh, and she ended up hanging up the phone. And, you know, for, for me, a person in a state of distress and despite my best intentions, I, I, I learned the hard way that be really careful when using silence, uh, particularly when it's on the phone and they can't see you uh, and see the fact that you're engaged. Another coaching tool that I love in that example is if you're feeling like the silence is just tipping over, just sometimes saying, can you tell me more or I'd love to hear yeah. more, you know, just that that simple two words or three words, you know, I'm here for you and just, yep. you know, matching and mirroring with tone is another way to say I got your back and I know there's more there as well because so many times people do stop like expecting yes. for you to to especially if they don't know what coaching really is all about. <laughs> yeah. Can't you solve my problem? Come on, Cliff, really. That's, yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah, that's right. So, so, all right, 
What about a sliding doors moment? Can you think of one in your life? Four to me that that really stand out. So I was going to throw to you which which one sounds most interesting to you? The, the joining, or leaving the military, studying psychology, or having coffee with with another psychologist. Which one stands out? I'm going to say leaving the military. Just for context, I was what they call an airfield defence guard. So that's infantry skill set, but defending air bases. Uh, so I was a patrol commander and a weapons instructor. And uh, I was up for promotion and posting and absolutely still loving the job. Uh, really would have enjoyed the the new posting uh, as an instructor for officers and uh, but I always knew that it was not going to be a 30-year career and the longer I stayed in, the harder it would be to get out and do something else, whatever, whatever that was. Uh, and I ended up having coffee with a, a leader of an organisation I was involved in outside the military and just to kind of explore, like, if I was to leave, you know, would there be a job there for me uh, so there's, I'd, I'd, you know, have something to do? And I walked away from that coffee knowing that, um, you know, whatever, if there was a job there, that that wasn't the place for me and, and I wouldn't be doing that. Um, but I also walked away from that coffee going, I know I have to leave. And so I, I did what I advise everybody else not to do, and that's leave without a plan um, and uh, and put my discharge papers in. Uh, and, you know, I ultimately I ended up studying psychology and and never looked back. Okay. So what's the difference between being a psychologist and a coach? You know, I, I took an eight-year journey to go from studying, starting and then going all the way through my studies. So I did undergrad, I did honours, I did masters, and then I did two years of endorsement supervision after that um, to be a fully endorsed organisational psychologist. So um, for those of the, you, the listeners that don't understand, um, that means I specialise in psychology in the workplace psychology within organizations. So just as a doctor, you know, you might get an orthopedic specializes in bones and uh, all those sorts of things. I specialize in the workplace. And, and really I'm trained as a scientist who studies people. That's how they they train uh, psychologists. So I, I'm trained as a scientist who studies the human psyche uh, in the workplace. Coaching is one part of organizational psychology. Uh, for me, I play in the really the the leaders, teams, and strategy space. So a lot of executive coaching. I come from a psychology background and perspective. That that's kind of what I bring. So it's it's interesting. My coaching sessions when I'm working with someone, they are rarely purely coaching. Kind of understand coaching, and it's around strategic asking strategic questions. People actually come to me not just because I'm a good coach. They come to me because I'm a psychologist, because I have a military background. And if I don't then share some of that to my clients, then I'm not giving them the most value that I can. I will always start with a coaching approach. Generally, at some point in the middle, I'll transition into some psychoeducation where I'm actually telling people, um, this is what happens and this is what kind of you need to do in, in order to get that outcome and that. And then I'll end with a coaching approach and say, so what are you going to do with that? How are you going to apply that uh, and all that sort of thing? Yeah, I do something similar with my background in high-performance sport. So it's yep. bringing the experience of what is it like to to coach at a Grand Slam level or, you know, I've represented Australia 20 times as a coach. You know, when you're sitting on the sidelines, what, what does that person go through under extreme pressure that a lot of people these days are going through pressure? 
uh, and there is there is sometimes that educational piece uh, that I flowed in and out of my coaching as well. A lot of people when they learn coaching, they have this perception that you've got to rely solely on the coaching process, uh, and I think you know to a degree that's that's necessary in terms of learning the skill set and gaining the experience. But you you talk to any of the super you know the world's best coaches, and really they talk about the collaboration with the coachee. And I love that you said end with the coaching approach. So at the end of the day, they're the ones choosing the approach that's best for them. So, all right. Okay. What about our guiding question in one to a maximum of three words? What do you think makes a great coach? Kind of going to go back to the, um, the book, uh, and and the model that I use there. And I I talk about the mindset, the skill set, and the practice. You know, when I talk about mindset, I'm kind of like, uh, how do you set your mind? Uh, what are the the kind of the anchor points that you use in order to uh, approach your, your coaching? Um, and, and so when I talk about mindset, I talk about kind of the goals, your core beliefs, your thought processes or thought patterns, um, and what's your frame of reference, uh, which allows you to kind of determine the perspective that you take and kind of, you know, your beliefs, you need to believe that everybody is capable of solving their own problems and they have the internal resources to overcome the challenges that they if, if you don't have that belief, then you know, coaching is pointless, right? So you've got to have uh, uh, an effective mindset that that helps you. You've got to have skill set. You've got to be able to ask, you know, not only the coaching questions and and have coaching skills, but you've also got to have skills with building rapport uh, and and building relationships and trust. Uh, One of the things that we get kind of drummed into us as psychologists in our training is that the greatest uh, contributing factor to a, a therapeutic outcome with a client is the quality of the relationship. It's not what you said. It's not what model you used. It's not the content of what you discuss, but it's, you know, do you have a good, um, you know, therapeutic alliance is the, the term that we call, but do you have a good coaching relationship? Do you have a good, good rapport? And if that is really solid and people can walk out of the session feeling heard and valued, then that's going to do more for them than whatever you say or whatever question you ask. That's really encouraging for me uh, because sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, uh, and particularly when I'm coaching outside my area of expertise. And and I can rely back on the, yes, back on the coaching process, but also the relationship. If I know that I've got good people skills and I've built a good, good relationship, that person feels valued and heard, um, then they're going to have some success. And then I think practice, right? And and practice kind of for me has two two aspects to that. There's the the practice in terms of actually gaining mastery and practicing your skill set and uh, and coaching lots so you become a master coach, right? Uh, and, and it's kind of like that that martial arts kind of concept of their practice that they're constantly using, constantly trying to improve until they become a master at it. And but but also the other element to that is. Um, when you think of like a legal practice or a doctor's practice, and it's about being a professional, are you treating it as a profession? For for me, it, it's kind of that mindset, the skill set, the, the the practice piece, um, all kind of combine and um, and allow a coach to really be the best that they can be, so that they can bring out the best in others. Yeah, shout out to Natalie Ashdown's book. There, you used to I think you used yep. her title twice in that. <laughs> there, there you go. G'day fellow business coaches. I thought this would be an opportune time to let you know about our latest sponsor, heyday.xyz forward slash coaches. 
Now think about this product as an AI thought partner that turns your conversations and notes into quotes and ideas into posts. It is a game changer. If you're anything like me, you don't enjoy the paperwork, you prefer to be present during your coaching sessions rather than busily having to take notes. This really is the future of coaching efficiency. So please check out heyday.xyz forward slash coaches. It's time now to get back to the show. So what sparks your curiosity? So there's lots of things that spark my curiosity. And, and I think one of the things, one of my biggest struggles is I, I am so curious and I spread my attention across so many different things. So I don't always go deep on a particular topic. You're unlocking potential uh, is one. And so how do you unlock potential? In psychology, we talk about what's your theory of change? How do you create change in a person? I, I find discipline is a, is a big one. So where are you disciplined in your life? And, and that's a really good question because where people uh, invest their time, energy and effort, where they are disciplined kind of tells you what they value. Uh, and there's a whole lot that you can kind of draw from that about, uh, you know, different aspects of personality and what's important to them and, you know, what they have and haven't done and, and those sorts of things. Um, and it kind of, for me, you combine passion and discipline together and that's a recipe for success. Um, you know, if you're passionate, about something and you you kind of absolutely love it, um, but you're not disciplined, then you're not going to achieve, you know, anything super high level, like the beyond the normal. Um, if you're disciplined, but you don't necessarily have passion, you'll be clinical. You might achieve a whole lot, but you're not going to enjoy it, right? And so the richness of that experience is not necessarily going to be it, but you've got combine the two together and you're going to, you know, that, that's the recipe for the uh, extraordinary. But also I, I love, I, I generally just love the question, what's your story, right? Because, and so many people, will, will, when asked that question, they'll go, well, what do you want to know? And I go, well, you tell me, it's your story. Uh, and, and, and that's a, a great way uh, for people to kind of tell you what's important to them. So, but I, I want to throw the question back to you, Emma, because I'm really interested around, tell me about kind of the energy perspective that you bring to coaching because you describe yourself as an energy coach. Why is that so important for leaders? I think in today's hybrid world, it's even more important than ever before because I used to believe in work-life balance and now I sort of flip it and call it more like life-work integration. I love what you just said, picking up on passion and discipline as a recipe for success because being able to put in boundaries, being disciplined in boundaries and knowing where your energy comes from, what drives you, what motivates you, and also what what sucks your energy dry. I work with a lot of people in my coaching where they're just going from back to back Zoom meetings and then they're yep. expected to do their job somewhere in yep. between and they're eating lunch while going to the toilet, literally like to have a break. The reason that I even use that tagline is because I ha have this natural resource of energy. I always have. It doesn't matter who knows me. That's probably the, if you did a word association, it's the number one word that comes up. So I started to, as you said, unpick or I think um, unlock, well, how do mm -hmm. I do that? Mm -hmm. And it is very much about understanding your your blueprint of what does life work integration mean to you? Where are your boundaries in the hybrid world when you do go into the office? Because what I'm finding as well is 
honestly, 50% of my clients love to go into the office and 50% of them can't stand going into the office. All right. Well, how do you manage that? And how do you manage your energy around that? So, and then also, you know, when I'm speaking, the energy is a dance. It's a dance between me and the, and the audience. And, and I know you, I can tell you, you get that, you understand that so many people don't, it's still where the, and that's where I want to go next with you is the old fashioned leader. And I know that you also work with a lot of engineering companies, which is, which is what I do Mm -hmm. here in Colorado where they've been, these leaders have been promoted based on their technical knowledge, but they've been put into positions where they're not equipped with the skills to be able to manage their own energy because now they're in charge of people and they're technical experts. Mm. What's some of the research? I know that you're you're big on stats listening to you talk on previous podcasts uh, around why, you know, why this happens, why are they ill-equipped when they get to where they want to go, A, and B, uh, what is the dual responsibility of leadership? Let, let, let me answer that in reverse order, right? So the dual, res, dual responsibility of, of leadership for me uh, is it, it's twofold. The one is driving performance, whatever that looks like in your setting. Um, it, in the sporting world, you know, it's it's getting runs on the scoreboard, win, wins in the, you know, uh, in the belt. Uh, making hitting the top of the ladder, making the finals, whatever that is. In the corporate world, uh, it might be uh, profits. It might be um, you, you know getting project completion done. Uh, it might be uh, releasing new products and, and keeping sales up and, and all those sorts of things. So whatever performance looks like in your context, uh, you know, as a leader, you have a responsibility to drive that performance. But you also have a dual responsibility um, there. The, the, the other side of that is developing capability. And the analogy that I use in the book, uh, I've got a grandfather, two uncles, three cousins, and a brother who are all pilots. So aviation is kind of big. I was in the Air Force, wasn't a, didn't fly planes, but aviation is big in our family. My brother is a, a Qantas pilot, first officer. I was having a conversation with one day about what makes a great captain. So, uh, you know, the, the captain is the, the lead pilot. They're the one that's ultimately responsible from getting everybody on the, you know, the aircraft and the passengers from point A to point B. And the first officer is the, the co-pilot, essentially. You know, the, as a captain, you can, you can kind of fly that two ways. You can either say, I want to uh, I, I own this process so much and, and take this responsibility so seriously that I can, uh, I'm going to do everything so that I make sure that the aircraft and the passengers get from point A to point B safely. What separates the great captains from the good captains is that they still take that responsibility. They still ensure that that happens, but they let the co-pilot, the first officer, do as much of the flying as possible. And what they're doing there is they're giving the first officer as much experience as possible so that when they move up through the ranks and become a captain, they're going to be a a really effective captain that can take that responsibility themselves. So the really great captains there are not just ensuring that the organisation, the airline performs well, but they're also developing the future captain capability for the organization ongoing. The absolute dual responsibility of leadership is to drive performance and get the most out of people, but also develop the future leadership capability. And so, you know, why is that really important? Well, 
um, you know, in today's today's world, the reality is that the needs of our workforce are changing. And as a result of that, the the millennials, Gen Z, what is it, Gen Alpha, whatever they're calling the, okay. the generations that are coming in after that, they, their expectations are different from the previous generations. They have an expectation and they, they desire a higher level of development, up to 50% more than previous generations in the workforce. They want to be developed. The interesting thing for me when you kind of dig into some of that research is where that development comes from because they don't necessarily want to be sent away, uh, you know, on a two-week leadership Retreat. course by some external provider. Yeah, uh, uh, provider. They, they actually want the development to come from their immediate supervisor. They want mentoring-type relationships with their managers. And uh, the, re- the reality is if leaders don't meet those needs, well, there's never been more opportunity for them to go and find somewhere else that will meet those needs. Yeah, definitely. I love that one around, uh, you know, 50% of, of wanting that growth. And I also heard you talk about these. some of these leaders are, are not getting the training needed to know how to lead people for up to 10 yeah. years. Can you explain more on that yeah. one? Yeah, this, this, this research is, is probably a, a little bit old now, but um, I, I think it came out 10 or 12 years ago. What they were saying was on average, it was 10 years between when someone got their first supervisor responsibility to when they got their first decent leadership training. And so that's a decade of not knowing really what to do. And as a result of that, um, they're, they're just trying to figure it out and they're making it up as they go along. And what do you what do you do in, in those circumstances? Well, you look to the person above you, um, you know, your manager, but the reality is that they're in the same, they're in the same boat. So they're they're just they're halfway through a decade of, you know, just trying to figure it out, making mistakes all the time because you don't know what to do. And, and when you you look at the where the leaders the money is spent in leadership development across Asia Pacific, so kind of my part of the world, but there's ten dollars spent at the executive level for every one dollar spent at the frontline level. And for me, the smartest thing to do would be to flip that. Yeah. If you can give people good leadership skills right at the start of their leadership career, then you lay a solid foundation for them to actually, you know, build build a, a, a great performance career as leaders and, and to have this great impact. But so often I'm called into the executive level and they don't have their basics sorted. And so they're asking me to do kind of this high performance stuff. And what I actually have to do is spend time unpicking all the bad habits and, and just getting some of the basic stuff that as an executive, you probably should know, uh, get that sorted before I can then do the high performance stuff. Uh, smartest thing to do is give people more leadership training front up. It's one of the things I love about the military, right, is that every time you advance, you get a new level of training. That that's kind of an approach that works, right? And and for people, when they um, in in the corporate world, they need more training. They they need more development. Now that that may not be a course. It may may not be um, you know going and getting your masters or your MBA or something like that. But they they you've got to figure out what's what's the skill set, what's required in at that next level, um, and how do we get them there? And that's one of the things I love about coaching because as an approach. Um, you can use that approach and that process to whatever skill set, whatever scenario and context, uh, and and it's very much driven by what do you need and how can we help you get what you need to 
uh, succeed in that new context that you're stepping up to. So that was what I was going to ask you. My next question was, what has the military taught you about being a great coach? So the military has taught me a whole lot around leadership. Uh, and, and I say, you know, my time in the military allowed me to see the best of leaders. And, you know, there was leaders that I served with that I gladly would have run into battle with that I would have taken a bullet for. Um, but then I got exposed to the worst as well. And so I've seen I've seen both ends of the spectrum, uh, but I've seen the impact of both. And so for me, you know, why I'm passionate about leadership and leadership development is, you know, I've seen how destructive poor leadership can be. And so I, I've seen how uh, powerful and transformative really good leadership can be as well. And so I, I kind of want to wage a war against the perpetuation of poor leadership. And I want to really help people be, um, you know, lead in a way that transforms people into better versions of themselves, which means that they can be, you know, better operators within your business, which means you have higher performing teams and more profitable businesses and and that side of things. But more importantly for me, you you then go back and you be a better husband, father, mother, daughter, right? You have better families, better communities, and ultimately a better world. And for me, coaching is the primary mechanism to do that. Um, I actually got trained as a coach in the Air Force uh, as part of the leadership uh, Air Force leadership coaching program. And so the Air Force is where I got introduced to coaching as a skill set. And I, I would say that, you know, while I spent eight years uh, doing my psychology studies, it's probably the week that I spent at Glenbrook with Natalie, uh, Natalie Ashdown, uh, learning the the coaching skill set that's been most, um, or I use that on a day-to-day more regularly than anything else. It's teaching people how to fish as opposed to fishing for them. How do I coach others and how do I coach myself so that ultimately the coach can step away and the leader can uh, do all of that? And then whatever scenario they go into, if they coach themselves, they're going to get a better performance, better outcome. Um, but I'm a big believer that coaching skill set in your leadership toolkit, then anything that you do can be an opportunity to develop people if you so choose. And I'll often use the example there around it. Hey, I've got to make a decision myself. So it's my my responsibility, my my decision at my level, my role. Um, so, you know, so many people just sit down in their office and they just make that decision. Like they go through a process, whatever that is. But what, why not say bring some of your staff in and coach them through that? Right. And so, you know, Sally comes in. Hey, Sally, um, come, come on in. I've got this decision to make. And I really don't know which way to go, um, but I just want to bounce some ideas off you and and help, you know, make an informed decision here. So, you know, here's a scenario. Here's the decision we've got to make. Um, what would you do? Like, tell me, what, what's the outcome that you're, you would be after in, in this case? If you were in my shoes, um, you know, what are the main considerations that you would have? What, what are the constraints that we've got to operate within? What are the different options that we've got? Which one do you think is the best? And how would you, what would you do there? And and how was how would that be um, perceived by lower down in the organisation? And what might be the second, third, fourth order effects of that? What how might that affect the other department over there? You know, and so you're, you're coaching her through making as if she was making the decision. Sally, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Still, don't know which way I'm going to go with this decision, but the ability to talk this through with you has really helped me. I can make a more informed decision now. She goes away, and you sit down and make the decision. You think about the benefits there. Or to Sally, if you as a boss has kind of asked her 
to come in and contribute to your set of responsibilities well she must be high performing because you wouldn't get a low performing person to to do that she would feel valued because if you didn't value her you wouldn't value her opinion uh so her self-efficacy her self-belief her confidence gets built up in that process but she also then gets exposed to uh you know the responsibilities that you carry at your role what's it like operating at that next level so it's kind of like on the job exposure to on the on the job training for the next level up and and she goes back into her role thinking now more strategically because she's she's like oh I've got to think about that and I've got to think about the other departments in in that and what do I do here and and so her mindset has kind of been elevated in that space uh, and then you think about the benefits for you as the leader uh, well first of all you you kind of know where Sally's at um, and you, you know how she thinks a little bit more, which, you know, the more you know about a person, the more levers you can um, use to influence them and lead them in an effective way. You, you might identify some capability gaps for her. So you can be more intentional about developing her, you know, in, in, in the future. Uh, and you, you get more information coming in. So you're going to make a more informed decision. I'm sure you've experienced this, but I know whenever I coach someone on a particular topic, I get more clarity about that topic. Well, thanks for sharing. I mean, coaching really is just a higher level of communicating. I know that you believe that whether it be a you know coach parent situation or, you know, mm-hmm. really we're just elevating everyone's level of communication. Uh, so I want to finish with your book, uh, The Coaching Leader. Yes, there it is. There it is. I did full transparency. Uh I uh, read it on the beach in Fiji, loved it. Uh, and, you know, what I love specifically is this notion that you just mentioned a minute ago around raging a war on bad bad leadership and and the, the tell and the direct approach versus the example you just gave. Cliff just went through a, a mini coaching session with the questions hypothetically that he just did with Sally right then. Uh, and you were leading by example. So mm. the coaching leader, uh, your book, what would be one thing you would love people to to have an insight around from the book, just the, the purpose of the book? Purpose of this book uh, is is not to create more coaches. And, and I, I fundamentally believe like we don't want to stack our organisation full of coaches because we'd be, you know, leaders need to lead. There are decisions that need to be made. There are directions that need to be given. The execution needs to happen. And if every leader is just, is you know, see themselves as a coach first, then you're nothing just going to have all these done. development conversations. Yeah, that's right. You have all these development conversations, nothing's going to get executed. Uh, but but really, I, I do believe fundamentally that if you've got a coaching skill set as part of your leadership toolkit, um, you are going to be a better leader. Your high performance is there. Um, you're going to develop your people more effectively. And so therefore the organizational resilience, you're going to have layers of leaders coming through this organic pipeline of leadership development happens. So really from the book, uh, what I'm trying to do is articulate all these coaching skills uh, and try to be as practical as possible. What are the skills that coaches use to develop people and how can you as a leader take those skills out of the pure one-on-one coaching context and into the workplace so whether or not you are uh, doing a planning for a project uh, whether you're doing a debrief from an event whether you are uh, doing kind of performance reviews and performance management you're dealing with conflict um, I, I put a whole lot of scenarios you know, hey how do I 
um, use these skills to get a better outcome? How do I enhance your leadership or or my leadership um, at the same time as developing people on the job rather than taking them offline uh, and sending them away for development? How do I develop them day to day? And and so that's really what I'm I'm trying to do. Um, You know, as I said, like coaching skills will enhance everything that you do. Uh, and I tell a story in there about kind of the weapons instruction uh, that I, I used to do. And that's like the most directive scenario that you can be in. If you look, think of con- uh, the, the uh, continuum between being directive and telling and, and coaching and asking, weapons instruction is at the most far end, opposite end the, than coaching. Um, and, and really quickly, kind of what, what we as a weapons instructor, we used to um, have to conduct a weapon handling test for every every person in the Air Force. Every 12 months, they would come through, do do an assessment just to make sure that they're capable of handling weapons so that if they deployed, they'd be able to do so. Uh, and what would happen is everybody would come in, they would... Um, they would conduct kind of 60 to 90 minutes of training beforehand, uh, just a continuation training to refresh them. And then they go and sit their assessment. Uh, and then they'd walk out the door and they'd auto dump everything and not think about it for the next 12 months. Uh, and that's just kind of the way it worked. Uh, when, uh, But the way that we were trained in there was to give a whole lot of orders. And so we will conduct that training by, by going weapon fires, weapon stops, tilt cock, lock, lock in. You look in the chamber, you see around in the chamber, remove your magazine, give the weapon a shake, check the chamber to see that it's clear, put your magazine back on, realign, continue firing. We, they were just standing there waiting for the order, and then they just do what they're told. When I... Uh, got trained in, in coaching and kind of got this skill set. And I'm like, oh, how do I then insert this into my weapons instruction to get a better outcome, to be a better instructor? And so I would I would go, weapon fires, weapon stops. What do you do? And I'd get these blank looks and they go, uh, tilt the cock, look in, look in. Okay, do that. And, uh, you know, you look in the chamber. What are you looking for? Uh, to see if there's a round in the chamber. Cool. All right, you see around in the chamber, what would you do then? But all of a sudden, as I was doing that, what I was doing was forcing them to think because when you ask a question, they've got to think about the answer. And so they became more engaged and were thinking in the training. What actually happened was that the time that it took to train people before they were ready for the assessment shrunk uh, from about 90 minutes to under an hour. And what we noticed was that the pass rate also went up. So the first time pass rate in the assessment. So we had less people failing the assessment, going back to get more training and then coming back and sitting the assessment again, uh, which made the whole thing more efficient, more effective. And the beautiful thing for us, because we were there and we would notice that people 12 months later when they came back, remembered a whole lot more. So we weren't starting from scratch again. Uh, and, and so that, you know, there's an example how the most directive kind of task that that we as military leaders were doing was enhanced by the use of coaching skills. And so if you can, you kind of get the concept of I can use these skills and I can apply them wherever, um, you're going to enhance the outcome for yourself, for your people and for your organisation. Well, on that note, uh, I really do believe this episode has um helped everybody drive performance and develop capabilities <laughs> with a mindset, a skill set, and a practice of asking great questions to enhance that coaching environment, to bring out the best in others so we can stand on their shoulders, 
course, the sign of a great leader is how many other leaders we create. And you live and breathe that philosophy. Uh, It's been an honor and a pleasure chatting with you, mate. Yeah, wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for being on the coaching podcast. Not a problem. I really enjoyed it, Emma. I hope that our paths cross again soon, whether that's in person when one of us are in the same country, you know, or whether it's something online. Uh, I'd love to um, to have another conversation with you at some point. All right. Sounds good. Check out cliffmorgan.com.au because we always remember to go home at some point. G'day, mum. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating review on your podcast listening device. And don't forget to tell a fellow coach about the show. The ball is in your court to take action and enjoy your coaching.